Welcome to the Adventures in Arting podcast, the podcast where we talk about all things art-related. This is episode 100. (laughs) Looking back, looking forward, recorded on May 13th, 2020. My name is Julie Fafan Balzer, and with me is my co-host, Eileen Shoebalzer. Hi, Mom. Hi, I never thought it would last this long. <laughs> I know. And it's, I would say most people probably get to episode 100 after about two years because people tend to do a weekly podcast. It has taken us eight years to get here. But man, here we are. So I, I thought what we could do today is we could talk a little bit. I mean, first of all, I want to say congratulations to us. Eight years is a long time. 100 episodes is a significant thing. All of that. Um, And there's plenty to sort of look back at and look forward to. I did notice, interestingly, when I was doing a little bit of um, research seems like a very strong word to use. But when I was doing a little bit of research for this podcast, I looked at um, Apple Podcasts. And you can only go back to, I think, episode 25. It only has the most recent 75 uh, most recent episodes. So you're missing so much good stuff at the beginning. But I do think that this podcast has evolved over time. Do you even remember where we started? Yes, I remember. What I remember is the following. So you said, oh, I want to do this podcast. And I said, fine. And then you said, I want to do it and I want you to be on it. And at that time, I hadn't really listened to many podcasts. And I think I'm not alone in being part of the demographic that didn't really have podcasts built into their daily lives. And so I sort of thought, well, who's ever going to listen to this, right? Mm -hmm. But if she wants to do it, so sure, I'll sit on the couch and be her, you know, Ed McMahon, or if anyone remembers these kind of old talk shows, there's a a sidekick, because it is easier to, to talk if you have someone beside you. And actually, you can see that in action, like now we're in the quarantine period, and People on these talk shows, they're doing it from home, and they really need someone beside them to have a conversation. It's very hard to just monologue. So It's not only very hard to monologue, but I I would say this. I think that for an audience, and listen, I have been watching, like everyone else, 1,000 webinars, 1,000 Facebook Lives, 1,000 Instagram Live, all that stuff, and it's very hard even as a viewer for a single person, even a very talented single person to hold your attention for that amount of time. I mean, even when they do like comedy specials on HBO and stuff like that, there are several factors there, which is A, they keep changing the camera angles around a lot so it doesn't feel so lonely, and B, they keep panning into the audience to see reactions, which actually is a person that that comedian is talking to. You know what I mean? It's not quite so solo. And I think that, uh, you know, another person always gives you another perspective. They get you back on track. They keep you from just wandering into the woods of who knows what with no reason. And sometimes they can correct your mistakes. I mean, I think there's a lot of stuff that is important about having that second person. Now, many podcasts use a guest to be that second person. But I've always, I mean, A, you are my personal Yoda. So that's really important. I live to serve. <laughs> but B, you know, I think one of the things that I remember us talking about when the podcast first came out is you kind of felt a little nervous and unsure if you wanted to do it. Um, and I said, you know, it would just be like, I mean, you and I have talked on the phone almost every single day for years and years and years. And uh, especially when I lived in New York, which is when we started the podcast. And I said it would be just like someone was listening to one of our phone conversations, you know, where we joke and talk and ramble and wander and, you know, insult each other. And I hope (laughs) that that is what the 100 episodes have been. And I think, you know, we had a goal at the beginning of really opening up the definition of art to a lot of different things. On the podcast, we had a, uh, we had a botanist and we talked about the, you know, sort of like garden design. My friend Kimberly, who unfortunately passed away several years after doing the podcast, talked about how she went to a church where they did a lot of art uh, related things. Like they had dance during their uh, services. They had, you know, poetry readings. They did skits and stuff like that. 
we had an opera singer on. I, I mean, I think we've had a sort of a wide variety of those things, less so perhaps in the more recent years. What do you think? I don't think it's less so in the recent years. I think what it is is you've 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 got an entire list of people you would you're eager to talk to whom you encounter through your work, through your strolling through the internet and so on. And I also think that we've had a few people back, you know, reappearances and what's what's happened is I think we can have a conversation with virtually anybody. I mean, frankly, it wouldn't have to be the most remote connection with art. You know, your life is your art. We could have a conversation now because people are extremely interesting. And most people, if you get them to relax a little, will have fun with it. It's like the sort of getting together over tea and with someone and or if you're stuck in a train or a plane, God forbid you should be taking a plane right now. But you can end up talking to someone who's your seatmate, whom you never would have talked to otherwise, and getting some very interesting intel. So I think what has happened is we've now developed a kind of interest in talking to virtually anybody on virtually any subject. Well, I mean, it's interesting. I actually would say that people are less interested in engaging with people in real life than they used to be. So, you know, I remember um, being on plane, train, whatever, and the stranger next to you would talk to you. Nowadays, I find that they do it less and less. People are more oriented towards devices. People are more oriented towards, you know, not making eye contact with you, not having an idle conversation with the barista behind the counter. I mean... I, I agree with you that people are very interesting, and I think that podcasts in general have certainly uh, in many ways lifted up sort of what you might call ordinary people because so many people get to have a voice, get to have a platform. But it's an it's an interesting, weird thing of the idea that we are more connected and less connected at the same time. I mean, I think I talk to a lot of people virtually by text, by whatever, but I actually nowadays feel uncomfortable talking on the phone. I think I would rarely, you know, talk to a stranger unless they talk to me first. I don't know. It's weird. Well, the quarantine makes you much more uh, aware of, like, the danger of other people because that's what they say is the most dangerous thing to you from this COVID virus is other people. So... I think that's too bad because it makes us all kind of isolated in the world. I will say that one of the things you children have always criticized me for is wherever I go, I start to get in a conversation with people and you're waiting there while I'm having this conversation. Well, part of it is that you're like the virtual mayor of where we live. So like you, every time we go to like the supermarket or anything, it's like you run into a million people who know you who want to have some sort of conversation, which is certainly, you know, is one of those things where it's like, oh, God, why are we going to stand here and do this kind of thing? But I will say we also have for many years been a family of talking to strangers. And I can remember going to foreign countries and other places where, you know, conversations got started with strange people who you ended up then having dinner with or becoming friends with. Or in some cases, I believe you even stayed overnight with people who you had just met and other creepy stuff like that, which I suppose is not creepy. It's lovely in a world in which stranger no one's danger. Be an ax, ax murderer. But I mean, I think all that stuff is true. I mean, you think about like hitchhiking or anything like that, just our awareness of stuff has become so insane you know to the point where steve and i with our little baby you know uh talking about stuff like well you know making sure like you know the the that no one touches him and that he's completely enclosed in his carriage and that you know what i mean that that like we're so worried about isolation or like spitballing and thinking about the future you know should we put him in the room where there's a staircase an exterior staircase that goes by his window or should we not and is that safe or is that not i mean just like stuff that i think you wouldn't have thought about in the old days when you used to send your kids off on the bike and say come home by dinner and they'd go somewhere 
and come home. I told you, when I was in kindergarten, I took a public bus by myself to kindergarten. I would, in a million years, I would not put a (laughs) five-year-old on a public bus alone. Well, it's even, I think about, I flew to see my grandparents by myself for the first time when I was five. Which you you did put a five-year-old on a plane by themselves. And even though that's an unaccompanied minor situation, like, and theoretically my grandmother was catching me at the other end, that's still an act of insanity, a five-year-old on a plane by themselves. It's a different well, when you were How old were you when the plane lost you? I was only seven or eight, I think, at that time. So I, so I got, I my father uh, was legendarily cheap. And one of the many things he did is instead of putting me on a direct flight from my aunt and uncle, Uh, And my grandmother in San Francisco, he put me on a plane that stopped in the middle of the country in St. Louis. Kansas City. Or Kansas City, maybe it was. Maybe it was St. Louis. Something like that. And uh, somehow a flight attendant was supposed to escort me. And then they just sort of left me. The plane got delayed. And so then I was just by myself at the gate. And I couldn't. And it was like hours and hours. And I didn't know how to make a collect call and I didn't, I, I didn't know how to make a long distance call was part of the problem because at this time into a payphone you had to put more than a dime. That should tell you how long ago it was. But I was like putting in a dime and I couldn't get the number to go through. And finally some woman said, came over and said, can I help you? And I said, I'm trying to call my parents. And she, thank God, went into panic mode and was like, where are your parents? Because I'm a little <laughs> girl, right? And I remember pieces of this. And she's and I remember telling her that they're in Boston and she helped me. She called the operator, which I didn't know you could do, because how would I? I'm seven or eight. And she said, this little girl wants to call her parents. And she asked me for the number and I give the number. And then I talked to my parents. And then I remember I had had some money that someone had given me, maybe my. Maybe grandma. Maybe grandma something. had given to me. And I went to buy some food and I bought a tub of popcorn. Just the kind of thing that a little girl would buy, right? But I'm actually amazed. It's a vegetable. It's a salad. But if you consider it's amazing, I made it there and back to my gate. That you would remember where your gate is in a big airport and the whole thing. And I remember I was eating my popcorn at the gate. And then I don't remember a lot of what transpired in between. Though I have been told that basically what happened is airport security came and found me. That's because Um, your father called the airline. Yes. And I do remember that in these days you, you were... In Boston, you were not allowed to go to the gate, but my father was waiting for me in the jetway <laughs> when I got off the plane in Boston, which I thought was amazing because I thought I was going to have to because I remember having been given instructions that I was going to have to find my parents, you know, outside past security or whatever. So that was quite an adventure. I will not be putting my child on a plane by himself. And if I do, it will be a direct flight, direct flight. Um, but anyway, so that was an adventure and thank God. But there I again, what if, what if that kind her? woman had not come over and exactly. talked to you, had not yeah. broken through that, that outer level of propriety or, or whatever, disinterest in another person mm-hmm. and helped you make that phone call? You could have been okay. there for Indefinitely, hours. And if they had changed the gate and if, if, if. And I also think like I have no idea if the money might have come from that woman or if it did come from grandma, I mean, I have no idea how I had money. I just remember buying the popcorn. I have no idea how I was able to do it. Because I also remember that to make the phone call, I only had like one coin and I don't know where it came from. Must have been that woman. Somebody gave me a coin. Anyway, just a very interesting who knows. That's such, mom, I, I we started this whole podcast saying that someone else helps keep you on track and we have gone wildly off track somehow. But on the other hand, I well, will say this. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I just feel like in eight years that we've been doing this, things have changed. Podcasts are a regular part of many people's lives. And I think through this quarantine, even many more people who maybe never sampled them have now discovered that they're very uh, educational. Uh, they're good companions they open up the world to you in ways you might not have thought of going and uh i find that even when i'm doing stuff like emptying the dishwasher having the a podcast going makes the time just fly by you know you look down and the dishwasher is 
done. Um, I agree. I love to and, listen and, to podcasts while I'm like editing photos or doing some other, you know, mindless task. And the other thing is through the quarantine, I think a lot of people who like me may not be technologically up to par have been forced, forced to become more reliant on technology because they're not only having Zoom meetings, but they're having, you know, Microsoft meetings and they're having one other one thing after another and maybe they've never watched a YouTube thing but now suddenly they're doing it so I think this is changing a lot of people in this way even I mean I keep referring to myself as like this technologically challenged demographic but I know that even I can do things that I never thought I would be able to do of course I have my built-in IT department, which is you and Steve, Matthew and Kirsten. So <laughs> it's helpful to have uh, kids. It is. Well, it's also, I think it's helpful. This is the same as with art making. It's helpful to be interested in learning new things. It's helpful to not start out with the idea that you can't learn how to do something or that you're too old or that a, an old way is the best way. I mean, I, I, so this actually leads me into a larger conversation, which is I think there's this feeling, which you and I actually discussed yesterday, that things are not going to go back. Going back to right. the way things were before the pandemic is impossible. We will we'll never do that. I mean, I, I'm thinking about what is the panic when you're at a birthday party and someone blows out their candles. You're not going to eat that cake. And you're not going to eat that cake six months from now. You're not going to eat that cake 18 months from now. You're just more conscious of how things are you know what I mean, are infected and get to you. And I think, so we're not going back, which means we have to go forward. And I think that I would say that your technology issues, my technology issues, you know, other people's issues with can they learn a new art form? Can they crack the way that they make stuff? You know, you can always, you just have to be willing to let go of what was. I mean, this sounds like a silly example, but um, I actually got a comment in, I'm, so I'm teaching this online class right now, uh, working with a limited palette. And I got a comment in the class this morning that I really liked. Let me see if I can find it so I don't terribly um, paraphrase it. But, um, oh, here it is. So the woman said, um, in going through the lessons, I found so many new colors that I love. As a result, my pages look different from the bright colors I typically use, right? So and she says, thank you for all the information and making this such a delightful learning experience, blah, 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 blah. But I mean, I think the point is, here is someone who, through the very simple act of using a limited palette, which is just the idea of using, you know, three main colors and your white and your black to tint, tone, and shade, um, has discovered new colors. And this is a, an experienced artist, you know what I mean, who is finding uh -huh. new ways of looking at it. And I think we have to do that in so many ways. And one of the things I'm sort of thinking about in this um, newness is here's our podcast. We've done 100 episodes. We've done eight years. The landscape is 100% different. So what what is this podcast going forward as opposed to where it has been? You know, what what is the what is the point of podcasts now? What is the point of the podcast for my business? And sort of as a part of that, you know, I think a lot of people have been talking about this and it's true, which is what is the pivot in my small business, the business that supports my family and puts food on our table, you know, what is the pandemic pivot and what is the new going forward? balls or designs and where does the podcast fit into this you know it's interesting i i had discussed with you and you had not been excited about the idea that maybe we should turn the podcast into more of a video series can i make a suggestion yeah. to you are you using the headset microphone at all because it's nope. pull it's pull okay because it's i see it's up <laughs> no i'm using a different microphone i'm using the headset okay. only as a headset okay. um and are you having trouble hearing me no Oh, okay. Perfect then. Um, now my train of thought is totally gone. Okay. So here I'm back right. again. Okay. Sorry. So thinking about. That's the danger of having someone is. else. <laughs> thinking about, this is the danger of having video, uh, which is just what we were talking about. But I had said to you that I thought maybe we should do video. 
it seems like, you know, everything is, video quality is so much better now when you record through Skype or through Zoom or whatever. And it, it might be a, a nice way we do art so people might like to see something, yada, yada, yada. But then at the same time, I actually, I asked on my Instagram, on my Facebook page this week. And by the way, if anybody listens to this and is interested before Saturday, the, what is today? Wednesday, the 13th. So Saturday is going to be the 16th, 16th, 16th. Um, I'm having anybody who leaves a comment on the post where I asked this question on either my Instagram or my Facebook is entered to win a $200 gift certificate to my online classes. Um, I know, which is pretty exciting. But what I was going to say is, so I asked people what they, whether they listened to podcasts and whether they thought there was value in them now and sort of like what other podcasts they liked, et cetera, et cetera. And the thing that was interesting to me is the number of people who said basically what they liked about podcasts was they didn't have to watch a video. They weren't, they weren't, you know, it was just a conversation that it was something that they could do while they were doing something else, blah, 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 blah. And so I. It's like radio. Yeah, it's like radio. Radio is also another thing that I actually listen to a lot. And it's the same thing. I would say like one of the things about trying to avoid screen time around the baby is when I, at the end of my pregnancy, when I was aware that I was going to have to kill my screen time, you know, I was like, okay, I need to just get in the habit of not, you know, throwing on the TV when I walk into the studio, but of being sure that it's music, podcasts, all that kind of stuff. And so that was a big shift. And now I think I haven't even turned the TV on in the studio since we moved in here, which is insane because I like had a big deal, but they had to install a TV here, but I literally haven't turned it on. Say la vie. So, uh, so then I, so anyway, so that was interesting to get that feedback. And now it has led me to all these questions again about like, what is the purpose of a podcast within the context of my business? So if I believe that my business is about, um, helping other people to unlock their creativity, you know, improve, unlock, whatever you want to say, enhance, um, then the podcast needs to be about that too. And I, looking back, I think it has been, but it's so hard to evaluate yourself in terms of whether you're hitting your goals, you know? Right. No, I understand that. And what I would say is from the comments that we get, and I love when we get comments. Me too. I feel like we are reaching a particular demographic of people and you know what i people who are not your demographic they won't listen yes i mean why would you listen to an hour-long podcast if it's not for you yes and speaking of the hour long that's another thing i've been thinking of which is like do we need to do shorter faster podcasts so like it's only half an hour it's only in fact i used to listen to a 15 minute podcast where they would time themselves and at 15 minutes bang they were boom they were out And it was interesting because you kind of always wanted more, but it also made it really easy to listen every single week because it was like just a bite, just like a taste bite. I don't know how else to put it. I also listen to a podcast where they want to keep their episodes under half an hour. So if they have a long format, I think they record it all in one day, but they divide it when they release Uh it into pieces, assuming that most people don't sit for an hour, which is hilarious because I actually stream podcasts for like multiple hours when I'm in the studio right but I understand and also people are driving less is another feedback we got and a lot of people listen to podcasts when they were driving so I mean if I had my finger on what the future of podcasts was then I would make a bajillion dollars and I would be a you know guru too many (laughs) but I don't so I think it's more that I'm just thinking about what do you and I enjoy about the podcasts you know, and sort of where are we going with it? So what do you enjoy, Mom? Well, I enjoy the fact that we are restricted to talking about a more narrow range of subjects, although you might not be able to tell. (laughs) And at the same time, also, the phone is off. I'm not dealing with other people coming and going. I do have to sit down and face the computer to do this. So, you know, I can't fold laundry. I can't do some of the other things that are sort of nagging household tasks. 
So it's almost like a meditation. It's like we're on a little trip together, and it's our time. That's what I enjoy. I I like the sharing. And I think that's obvious from the fact that I write a blog, and I do an Instagram, and I do all those things, which is I enjoy the process of sharing. And part of the reason sharing works, and I think this is why I like the comments so much, is that it's two-way. Meaning I share something and then the the reward I get is the feedback loop of I enjoyed this, I learned something from this, I gathered something from this. And I think that's also why I like having the guests on because I think that they, they're sharing you know, of their experience, then for me, you know, sets little tingles where I go, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I like that. I like this. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I want to talk about this. I want to talk about that, you know, and it feels like, again, it's like you're getting something for giving something, which is kind of a really nice, I mean, that's the definition of sharing after all. So that's kind of nice. Um, anyway, let's talk a little bit. Uh, let's, let's try to focus here. <laughs> talk a little bit about sort of what I mean sort of art wise even or career wise which is a lot of what we've talked about there were many episodes for maybe a year or longer in which there were no guests and it was just me sort of taking you through my artistic journey so eight years ago I lived in New York um eight years ago I believe I was just getting divorced because I separated in 2012 right? What year is this? 2020. Yeah. yeah. So that's just about right. So, and I had a, what I would say a fledgling career as an artist. It was sort of largely a hobby that I was trying to convert into a career. And the podcast was part of that. I had gone to a blogger conference and I had learned about podcasts. I actually had never heard a podcast before I had been to this blogging conference. And I thought, oh, I'm good at talking. I can talk about anything for hours. So why don't I try this thing? And it's interesting that that, you know, whole sort of beginnings and where I was. I mean, I designed stencils for the Crafters Workshop then, which is something I still do. Um, I had not yet run into the Scan and Cut, which has become a huge part of my business and my life. I had not. Uh, I was already at that time, I think, a very beginning sewer. I think I was mostly a scrapbooker, though I was doing some art journaling and stuff like that. I mean, I think it is interesting to think how I have evolved and learned along the way. And I hope that the listeners and the people who are along for the ride have, have taken their own kind of similar journeys. Um, how, how have you changed? How has your life changed, Mom, in the eight years that we've been doing this? Well, first one, I know we're having a podcast. I'm terrorized by the idea that now you're making me come up with a recommendation at the end of each <laughs> episode. And I'm trying desperately to think, oh, my God, what am I going to recommend? Which is hilarious to me because one of one of your best friends and a woman who's like my second mother, her name is Sharon, has said to me years ago when it perfectly described you, she said, before Google, there was Eileen. And it's 100% true, which is before Google, people needed a plumber, they needed advice on how to get a stain out of something, whatever it was, the person who you would call, the person who you would ask would be Eileen. So I find it hilarious that you can't come up with recommendations since you have 10 million recommendations in your head. I guess I should ask you for a specific recommendation. All I know is, so that's the first thing that happens. And, that, <laughs> and then the second thing that happens is, Will my technology work? <laughs> that is also a terrorizing thing. So, uh, honestly, I look forward to these. As I said, it's kind of like time out of time. In a funny way, it's me time, only it's me and you time, because no one interrupts us. It's true. No one passes through. So, and that's very rare now. You have a husband and a child and a house and a career and uh, you're busy. And uh, so I enjoy this captive time. When we just get to talk about everything. You. <laughs> As usual, we just get to talk about you. My favorite subject. 
Um, so I have some expertise in the in the topic. You do, you do. I would say I, I've often said to people there was there is no one who was a bigger fan of me than my mother, but there was also no one who was a bitter, better, bigger critic of me than my mother. And you have always been a person who told me when something stunk and told me when something was good and told me when something was lukewarm and I can still count on you to deflate my balloon sometimes and to lift me up other times. And I think I think it's important in life to have those people who you know are giving you true feedback. Now you don't have to agree with their feedback. You don't have to say like, okay, everything they say is right. But you don't you, have to take it. Right. You don't have to take it, but you do have to know that there are people who will be honest with you all the time. I will say <laughs> Steve is wonderful in so many ways, but I think sometimes I could, you know, show him a picture that I drew with my left hand by accident and he would be like, you are so talented. Which is very sweet, but it's also, you know, it's like you want those people in your life will be like, mm, interesting choices. What were you going for here? Uh, and I think that that's a delicate balance. And I think that. Remember when you, I just yeah. want to say, remember when you used to live in New York and you were working in theater and you uh, went to a lot of different friends. They would say, come and see my show, come yeah. and see, you know, and you'd go. And sometimes they were great and sometimes they were not so great. <laughs> and we used to practice what you could say after the show when they come come rushing come over rushing out with their say, faces wow, alike. I'm, I'm, I'm so impressed with everything. I mean, how did you pull it all together? Yeah, all that stuff. Yes. How can you be honest and kind? And I think actually that I am a better teacher today because I learned how to be honest and kind and how to uh, give true feedback. I just think you shouldn't lie to people. And I think so often people in an effort to be kind lie. And I don't think that that's helpful. I think there is I was going to say, yeah, you have to – First, allow for the fact that maybe that's the choice they wanted. Right. And then you have to allow for the fact that your taste could be different from theirs. 100%. And that's the thing, which is I don't think that feedback has to include I liked it or I didn't like it. I think that that, that is lazy. I think that feedback is more it needs to be more specific than that so it's saying you know uh, you know the music really changed the entire experience for me is useful yeah. feedback and that doesn't mean that the music was good or bad it just changed the experience <laughs> and they can take it as they want that's honest you know what i mean and it's kind and i think that the same thing is true of art when somebody says like what do you think of this i think the answer is my eye goes straight to the blue area on the left. Then they can find out, they can decide for themselves whether that was their intention uh -huh. or not. And I think that I think that a lot of things about teaching, coaching, all that kind of stuff is really about learning how to be honest and kind. Which is hard because it's it's easier to lie sometimes it really is oh it's great no 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 this is fantastic you know you did such a great job it's you know blah blah, blah whatever i also remember i mean you were um you were a severe homework taskmaster i do wonder what you would have been like during this pandemic time if we you had had to homeschool us and i fear for our lives frankly um but what i was going to say is uh you know i i think you were always, when we did our homework, very, I think, figuring out where we were, meeting us where we were. So you weren't expecting my fourth grade paper to be the same as a 12th grader's paper, right? But you were expecting it to be better than the last fourth grade paper that I wrote. Because I remember once Matthew, my younger brother, wrote something and I read it and you were like telling him it was good and bad and I was like are you kidding me and I like had a thousand mistakes and you were like he's you know five years younger than you these are it's a different thing 
And that was actually you just wanted me. You wanted me. (laughs) I just wanted you to criticize him and crush him like a bug. But what I was going to say is that was an important moment for me when I did realize that you do have to meet people where they are. So it's like if somebody is an incredibly experienced artist and comes to a class of mine and says, this is what I made, you know, and they have tons of experience. That's a different conversation than somebody who shows up and it's their first time ever using a brayer. You know, I think you really and and I think. Let's actually backtrack that and say, screw other people's opinions. You know, let's think about how we self-criticize ourselves. Constantly. Yeah. If you look at, it's like, so one thing is I've gotten a bunch of emails since I've been doing these layered gelatin prints, right? From people who say they're trying to recreate this and they can't figure out how and blah, blah, blah. And like, A, I understand that. B, I am working on an online class about it. But C... I have been gelatin printing now for, it's got to be seven years, maybe longer than that, you know, and I have taught it and I have done it. I've contributed to a book about it. I have, you know what I mean? A lot of stuff so that if you are starting out doing it and you think that you're going to be able to recreate what I'm doing, do you know what I mean? You're not meeting yourself where you are. That stops a lot of people from trying something new, especially as you get older. You feel like, oh, I can see little kids skiing down the mountain. I can't ski down the mountain. I will be embarrassed to try to learn to ski because I will look ridiculous. Yes, 100%. I think that we all have to be kinder to ourselves, meet ourselves where we are, and understand. I will also even say to you this, which is, I now have years and years and years and years and years of understanding color. So even if I'm not painting, but I'm picking fabric colors for a quilt, all of those years of color are coming over there. So even if I'm a beginning quilter, I'm actually starting that area of design and certainly thinking about design principles and all these other things that I've taught for years. Like I'm starting all of that at a head start And I now only need to learn the technical skills of it. And I would say, for instance, someone who's been a seamstress for years and switches into quilting, you know, they understand the complete technicalities of sewing and have an advantage there. So you have to sort of remember that you're dragging that experience with you. And there may be areas where you have deficits or other people have deficits, but you always sort of need to meet yourself where you are. I think that people get very down on themselves. I'm teaching this series right now of live online scan and cut classes. Um, I have some other classes planned, but right now it's um, scan and cut. And the most interesting feedback from people who are signing up is they've had the machine for years and they're just intimidated or they have all the videos, but they just can't, you know, bring themselves to do it. And they like need this two hours of time, you know, where I can see them and they can see me on Zoom to just do it. And I get that. Because I think that it is really scary to learn new things and it it makes you feel stupid that other people seem to do it really easily, right? And yet somehow you can. In fact, another really great feedback that I got from somebody in my limited palette class, and by the way, this is again how I learn so much from my students all the time, um, is they said, you know, I tried this exercise and you made it look so easy in the video and now I'm realizing that it's actually really hard and I have to focus and I, it's and I'm really grateful for that because I'm working on it now. And I think that we it's like watching a cooking video. I watch a hundred cooking videos in which they're like, okay, one egg, one cup of sugar, da da da, and they put it in, they mix it up, da da da, in the pan, it comes out, they do it, they decorate it, and I'm like, oh my god, I'm gonna make that tomorrow. And of course, it never turns out like that. I am not that good a cook. And of course, the same thing happens, you know, when you watch a video of somebody painting or crafting or doing whatever. Is it seems so easy, and you think, oh, I'll just do that. And what you don't consider is all the years that they're dragging with them. And I go back at all times to that story of Picasso, which I've told a million times. He's in a bar. A woman walks up to him and and says, will you draw me something on this napkin? So he draws something on a napkin and he hands it over and he says, that'll be $30,000. And she says, what? That took you like, you know, two minutes. And he says, no, 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 it took 30 years. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. The whole thing. Anyway, what Did I'm he snatch saying, the napkin back? <laughs> that part of the story, I don't know. I also think it might be an apocryphal story. I have no idea. But it has always, 
always stuck with me because it's the same thing as like I was saying to Steve, I was saying I think I miscalculated the pricing on the scan and cut classes because I'm charging $25 and I think it's too little because it's taken actually a lot of time to answer emails and questions and stuff. So, you know, because I try to calculate out like how much I should be making for the amount of time it takes to do stuff. And the same thing is true, you know, for other people when they wonder like, well, why does a class cost $125 or $200 or $450? Because it's more than what you see in that moment, right? It's like an iceberg. You don't think about the time and the energy and all of the working time that it took or the, you know, whatever else. And I think the same thing is true of artwork. You know, why does that piece of art cost that? Because it's everything that that person is dragging with them. It's all the things you know what I mean? That somebody has you, you, when you look at like, okay, when I was picking a pediatrician for the baby, I looked at who had a ton of experience, right? I wanted a doctor who, you know, had an, had an excellent, you know, association with a hospital and who had had lots of experience with lots of children and blah, 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 blah. You know, and if they had told me that my pediatrician was going to cost more because he had more experience, you know what? I would have freaking paid the extra money. Thank God I didn't have to. But you know what I mean? Because I wanted that. Mm -hmm. And yet it's a funny thing. In other areas, we're not willing to pay people for their experience, which leads to a very large conversation that I think we've had briefly, but has been coming up over and over for me, particularly in this pandemic. I think that people have less money now. I have less money now. I'm sure other people have less money now. So that is a difficulty. But at the same time, I think people are also running who need the money and now are hustling to try to sell whatever it is that they sell are realizing people don't want to pay for content. People, not all people, but many, many, many people have this like idea that content should be free. They don't necessarily feel that doctor visits should be free. They don't necessarily feel like their food at a restaurant should be free, but they do feel that the content should be free. And it's an interesting problem because several times people will ask me questions on YouTube, right? And I'll say, oh, I have a class about that. And they're like, well, I don't want to take a class. Can't you just give me a free video? And the answer, of course, is sorry. Right. But no, I can't. But there are plenty of other people out there who will. And you can, you know, Google for that. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. I think I think it's just it's a ongoing question of... The same thing about like pirating movies or pirating books and stuff like that. You know, I think we have gotten past it to a certain point. People now understand you need to pay for music. You need to pay for books. You need to pay for whatever. So now the question, you know, it used to be like, well, who are you hurting? And I think there is some realization that needs to happen in terms of paying for content. You know, the, the who are you hurting is, yes, there are people out there who you are hurting when you don't do that and so it's interesting because there's now this artist pledge that people are doing online where you agree to sell it I'm going to get the details wrong because I always get the details wrong but the gist of it is you agree to sell your work for a certain amount of money I think it's like under $200 and once you sell I think it's a thousand dollars worth of work you agree to buy another artist's who's part of this work and you can pick what you buy. But the idea is kind of just a pay it forward idea, which is that, you know, when people are kind enough to buy your work, then you will go ahead and buy other people's work. And it sort of becomes artists buying artists work along with other people buying artists work and people sort of knowing that when they buy work from you, they're also helping you to buy, you know, somebody else's work. I mean, it's just, it's a nice idea of keeping lots of different people afloat, which I love. The same way that we said the other day, some of our favorite restaurants are starting to do um, takeout. And I was like, oh, we got to keep them open. We got to order from all these places to make sure that they stay in business. You know, right. I think it's really important. The businesses that you like, you need to find a way to support them. What are you supporting right now? You're supporting Women's Lunch Place. Yes, which is a uh, daytime shelter for poor and homeless women in Boston. And I'm supporting the... Boys and Girls Club of Watertown, uh, and then a bunch of other things, and then I and you are supporting. I was going to say you're you're supporting certain service workers that work for you by paying them without them coming, right? Just paying what they would have gotten had they worked that day because I don't fit. 
they're independent small business owners and they are not in a position to do their work online and they need the income and I feel like I've built up a relationship with them and uh, this is not their fault and I want them to stay afloat. I think that that's kind of a, it's the ultimate small business kind of thing. You, you need to see that you are part of a larger community and that the community stays together and stays afloat when certain people are not drowning. You can't let pieces of your community drown. I agree. And I think there's a sort of larger question that I think this pandemic has brought up that a lot of people have previous to this talked about this sort of the notion of like, let's say I love it when there's a local art supply shop, but do I end up doing my shopping online at Blick or on Amazon because it's cheaper and more convenient for me? Or do I want that business to stay in business? And so I get off my butt and in the car and go and pay the slightly higher prices to be able to keep that business going. And I think there was a lot of talk before the pandemic of people saying, you know, this is economics. If you can't make it, you can't make it. Like, that's your own fault. That's not my fault. You know, and a lot of like lack of personal responsibility. And I I, I am, I feel in this pandemic much more of a sense actually of people feeling like, oh, it's my responsibility now to keep some of these businesses that I like going and I need to, you know, um, find a way to service them. And at the same time, I would say I also see small business owners, many of them changing their mindset too, instead of saying like, this is what I offer, come and like, help me out. You know what I mean? Like, this is like, you know, that's it. Saying like, oh, let me find a way to reinvent myself and be new and be helpful in this, you know, sort of new era that we're in. And an example of that is so for instance, my friend Jen owns a cheese shop and she's been on the podcast before to talk about it. And during this pandemic, there actually are also, if you order from like cheese from them, you can actually also order things like toilet paper and yeast, not because they regularly carry those things, but because it's more convenient for you now to be able to just get that all at one place you know, so wait, she you. has toilet paper now? Yes, she does. Wow. She has toilet paper and she has yeast. She was bragging. She found yeast because she can order because she orders regularly from these kinds of suppliers. From the she large can now, yeah, yeah, she can now get these kinds of things like individual toilet papers and stuff like that. And so I think it's and she has said like after the pandemic, they're not selling that stuff like that's not <laughs> stuff that they're going to stock. Oh. It's just that during this time period, you know what I mean, to help their customers and make it a little bit easier. It's like, sure, if you want some toilet paper with your camembert, rock on, we've got it. You know, if you need some ice cream to go with, you know, everything that you bought instead of having to now, because it puts you more in danger, right? The more different places you need to go. So it's like, we can give you sort of a lot more than you think. I would think even like our favorite bread place that we've been ordering from now in this pandemic you know they have figured out a way to get their residential delivery residential delivery exactly which is something they never did before and honestly i've had more bread from there now than i did pre-pandemic because the delivery makes it so easy and i do wonder if they will keep that up after things you know uh and we're never saying normal, but well, after things are right, open. Because their commercial customers, the restaurants and stores and so on, will probably come back to them. Right. And they won't need to. Uh, the other thing, I was just thinking, um, so in this area, we've had milk delivery. And now you can't get on the list. It's closed because they've reached their max of customers. But these milk delivery places... In addition to doing the things they've always done, like also do butter and cheese and all this kind of stuff, they're now delivering meat and vegetables and just all kinds of things because delivery becomes the key the key yeah. thing here. And I will say that I think that's something that actually a lot of people will stay with. Like I think that once you get used to the idea that like fresh milk and vegetables and stuff arrive in a box on your porch it's unlikely that you'll suddenly be like oh no I don't want that anymore we'll see I mean I think also people 
have 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 gone through this period of hoarding. You know, I'm bringing a 50 pound bag of black beans into my house <laughs> just in case. You laugh, but it's I've I've seen people on the internet talking about it, and then you have to come up with, of course. A million pounds recipes. of black beans. That's a lot of pounds of black beans. And how would you even carry fifty pounds of black beans? Yeah, you have to put it in a. On a I guess if you a carry a fifty-pound dog. Anyway, what I was going to say is this actually leads me to another thing that I want to talk about, which is Matthew Teitelbaum, who is the director of the MFA Museum said, of Fine Arts. I'm sorry, the Museum of Fine Arts here in Boston said something really interesting which is he said that during this pandemic time, one of the things that the MFA is dealing with or questioning is what kind of online and other kind of programming can they offer that they will be able to both maintain post-pandemic and is monetizable for them. Because for them to put their time, energy, and resources into things that are they're not going to keep doing and that are not monetizable is generally not a good idea for them. Oh. And I thought, what a fantastic sort of way of putting it, because it makes some decisions very easy then about what to do and what not to do. And it actually reminded me of when I listened to a podcast, a helpful podcast, where someone talked about um, what are your brand values? And what they were discussing is that when you're a solopreneur like I am, your brand is very intertwined with who you are. But your business values and your personal values may be different. It doesn't mean that like in my business I lie and in my personal life I don't or vice versa. But it may mean more like, you know, in my – this is not true about me by the way. But like in my personal life I'm very religious. But in my business life I don't talk about religion at all. You know, we're completely – it's, it's the idea that you and your business can be separate entities and have different values. And once you know what the values are for your business, then you can easily make decisions because it's like, well, does this line up with my business values or not? Is this client a good fit with me? Is this idea a good fit with me? And so I was thinking about like in the pandemic times, thinking about businesses, like if it's not sustainable and it's not monetizable, and I don't think it has to be both. I think it has to be one or the other then is it a good fit for your business? So like live online classes is one of the big pivots that I made as opposed to in-person classes. I think that is both sustainable and monetizable for me. So that was a good decision to make, you know. But I think that if in this time I suddenly decided to start doing, I don't know, a, a free class every single day that was live, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Then I think that would be not sustainable and in the end not monetizable. I mean, one of the things that hit me really hard that my uh, my friend Natalie, who runs Creative Jumpstart every year, um, found out is she the first year she did it for free and there were thousands and thousands of people who signed up. And then the next year she charged and it's a very nominal fee. I mean, you get like 30 lessons and it's not very – it's like $2 a lesson or something – and I would say an eighth of the people signed up. Well, you found that too. Yeah. And I think it is an interesting thing, which is there's this great belief that if you give things away for free, people come. But what I have found is I think when you give – I think giving things away for free, content away for free is like loaning money to a friend. I don't think that you can expect a return on it. I think you give it because you're feeling like you want to give it. You're giving it because you're feeling generous. You're giving it because you like the sharing, you know. But the second you expect a return on it, I think you uh -huh. run into some weird problems with your friends and with it. But that's that's just my personal theory. I have no idea if that's true or not. It has been true for me. So I am happy to do this podcast i am happy to write my blog i'm happy to share on my instagram I'm happy to do all those things for free because again like i said i like the sharing and i like the back and forth of that but um it's still an interesting thing to think about what a business is in this time period i don't know i don't know any of the answers do you know mom no but i'd say you have a particularly idiosyncratic kind of business uh because it's built up First, it's built up over time, so there are different parts. It's like a house that has different additions onto it. Uh, and then secondly, you have uh, moved in so many 
unexpected directions as your interests have changed. And I think what what is difficult is when you try to explain to someone, they'll come up to you and they'll say, so what do you do? And it's I notice it's very difficult to really get across what you do because there are so many uh, possibilities of how you explain that. Uh, and I think what, occasionally you do something that I admire, although I dread, <laughs> which is that you do a reno housekeeping, you know, of your business model and you'll, certain things will go, certain things will be improved, certain things will be uh, added. And as with any like giant cleanup, there's always a mess before it is done. It looks even worse when you're in the process of doing it. And you've had some disasters where in the middle of doing something, introducing a new platform or something, suddenly you lose your entire, I know there was one time you lost your entire classes, right. all the whole thing, your entire classroom, and you just somehow plow through, but it, there are a lot of moments of high tension and drama involved with that. Uh, and like now you've got your own, you teach your YouTube things, you've got your own, but you've got your own live platform where you can do live things and you're not paying somebody else to host it. These are daunting things. I have to say, I do admire it. And it does lead to the constant improvement of your product, but it's not clear to me that that I don't think I could do that because <laughs> the the midnight screeching, <laughs> the tears, the incredible stress of it you know, is just unbelievable to watch. I say this. I say, well, first of all, thank you, Mom. I appreciate that. Um, but I will say this, which is I think that one of the things when people ask me sort of like how I came into my job or like how do I do what yeah. you do. What do the, you do? The answer is like difficult because it's A, what do I do? But it's also B, some of sort of how I run my business is, as you indicated, like it's it's jerry-rigged together. It's, it is a crazy house built in a hundred different times and I couldn't give you a roadmap because you'd be like, because this is this is what it reminds me of is I I've put out some videos of like art journal pages. And I remember getting comments where people would say things like, well, why did you put the green paint down if you just covered it up? And the answer is I didn't know I was going to cover it up. You know, I had no idea that that was where I was going. I put the green paint down because at the time the green paint was interesting to me and then it stopped being interesting. So I covered it up, you know, I think. And I think my career has been like that. In some ways, I think, you know, this podcast is a mini sort of if you listened, if you actually went back and listened to all the episodes, you would see that this this is a, you know, mini version of that, that I think we all start with sort of an idea or a plan or a hope. And then you sort of see what changes. And I never want to be a person who's so rigid that I say, like, this is what I do. This is the system. This is the only way that this works. I kind of hope that I'm always open to the idea that the world changes, as we can see now, that you have to be able to pivot, that you have to be able to change flexible. And I think I approach art making that way, too. That I have an idea that I'm kind of making something, but mostly I'm being led by curiosity, by intellect, by feeling, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I think... I think that if if there is any gift that art has given me, I used to be an even more rigid and controlling person than I am today. And I think that learning to be free in my art, learning to let go of expectations in my art, learning to let go of uh, some of that pressure in my art has certainly converted over into my life that I am much more willing to roll with the punches, that I am much more easygoing, that I am much less rattled by things that change, that I am much more uh, 
you know, willing to sort of go with it. And I think this is, again, back to the bit about meeting yourself where you're at. Am I the most relaxed, loosey-goosey person? Am I the calmest, most zen human being on earth who never even worries when things shift? No. No. (laughs) I am definitely not. But compared to where I was... Yes. I feel like I've come a million miles and I'm, you know, only halfway through my life, I hope, fingers crossed. So, you know, here's hoping that that I continue to get more and more and and more relaxed and that my artwork does and that it evolves and I evolve and the podcast evolves and you evolve and everybody evolves. That should be the title of this podcast. Everyone evolves. Um, But we should probably actually wrap up. So do you have any last thoughts, Mom? No. <laughs> well, that seems like that seems like a perfect end to this podcast. Oh, but you do have a recommendation, don't you? You know, this is the burden of each of these <laughs> podcasts now. Okay, this is a pandemic recommendation. I've been watching the weekly uh, YouTube broadcast by John Krasinski called Some Good News. And in the midst of all the other YouTubes that people are putting out, YouTube films, I think it stands out because he doesn't talk about himself. He talks about good things that are happening all over America. And he, uh, there's an open-heartedness and an inclusiveness. He involves his watchers. He uh, has put on a virtual prom for class of 2020 he has uh there was a little girl who had always wanted to go see hamilton and her mother had gotten tickets and then of course the pandemic shut everything down and he arranged for the original cast members to sing to her in a zoom uh and then uh later he'll he'll send her and her mother to New York to see the show or whatever uh when it opens he he makes you feel good at the end of this 20 minutes or whatever the show is you feel like the world is filled with some good people and that life is going on for many people sometimes in an altered way but that it goes on and kids are growing up and people are still uh loving their families and that there is good in the world and there's appreciation for the good in the world. And it just, it makes a difference. I just feel like sometimes as I sit there glued to the drumbeat of terrible news, morning, noon, and night, that I need a change of pace. And this gives me that change of pace. So it's some good news. Uh, SGN TV, he calls it, and you can find it on YouTube. I will. I've heard a lot of people talk about it, and I have not yet watched it, so I actually went to school with John Krasinski's brother. Well, I used to take aerobics with John Krasinski's mother, so there. I know, because (laughs) I went to your aerobics class once when I was on break, and I was wearing some shorts from Brown, and she said, oh, are you at Brown? And I said, yes, and she said, my son is, and that's how I found out that I was in the same class as John Krasinski's brother. Actually, didn't you and he co-chair one of the reunions, you and his brother? He didn't co-chair. He was in, like, the committee thing on a couple phone calls, but... I don't actually know him in any way. That's as close as I get to celebrity, guys. No, no, I I don't either. (laughs) Um, So my recommendation, so I have been obsessed with ice dyeing. It has taken all my time and energy and focus for the last week. It is the only thing I want to do, and I am annoyed that I only have one baking rack and not enough white cotton goods in my house to dye everything. I've used up all the fabric I have. I've used up all the t-shirts I have. Anyway, I made a huge mess in the bathroom. My tile floor is still white from the soda ash. It's just, it's a big old mess around here, but I'm obsessed. So today on my blog, I posted about the ice dyeing and a woman named Linda Hines commented and she said that she is the inventor of ice dyeing which I think is pretty amazing, and that she wrote the very first article about it many, many years ago in Quilting Arts. 
And it has now become a sensation in which I actually Googled nobody attributes uh, her with <laughs> inventing it. There's some uh, there's some stuff out there that says Dharma Trading Company, which is a company that sells things, quote unquote, invented it. So I don't know what the truth is, but she does have an online class called Icy Delights, and she's offering it at a reduced price through the end of May. And I signed up for it today, and I have watched one video, which was the intro video. So I am recommending it anyway, because this the recommendations on it are really good. She has a lot of very technical information about like which dye colors split and don't split and work and don't work. A lot of good sort of safety information is taking a brief look through and it is very reasonably priced. I think it's like $25 or something like that right now. Um, so it is called Icy Delights. It is at lindahines.com. It's L-Y-N-D-A-H-E-I-N-E-S. I don't know her at all. But I'm excited. Maybe we should have her on as a podcast guest and she can talk about um, ice dyeing and I can find out even more. You um, know, I just yeah. want to say this is something good about you, which is here you are, you're doing it, you're writing blog posts about doing it, and somebody writes to you uh, and you immediately sign up for their class because you don't present yourself as the be-all, end-all on any of these topics you're a student of it you're trying things and you're helping us by putting out the blog and letting us know what worked for you and some suggestions for how you might do it better and there there's a feeling that we can fail with you succeed with you talk with you learn with you and I like that Good. I do too because I will say that I believe 100% I, I am never the expert even in the things I teach. I feel like these are the things that I've learned where I'm at now. In 10 years I'll be better at this than I was when I'm teaching you this class now, right? But I'm right. doing the best that I can. I And I also think that, you know, paying Linda for her expertise and for her work and not just using the free tutorial on YouTube, not just doing the free tutorial that I saw somewhere, that is part of my belief that people need to pay for content. And I don't disinclude, is that a word? I don't exclude <laughs> myself from that thing. I need to pay for content. So I got a lot from a lot of free tutorials that I just found on Pinterest. But if this is a class, it's so reasonably priced. She's clearly an expert. Her results are beautiful. The reviews that people have left are fantastic. Like that deserves my appreciation through a financial contribution. And I would say one of the things I think is so interesting is, so as you mentioned earlier, I have this membership, a monthly membership, which is $5.99 a month. And a number of people have written to me to say basically, it's, it's not quite this mean the way that they put it, but it's actually a very kind thing. But uh, they say basically like, I'm not that interested in this, but I'm paying you $5.99 a month because I appreciate all the free content that you give. Thank you. You know what I mean? And like, I really appreciate that. It's not a critique that. of you. It's not a critique you. of me. <laughs> But no, I think it's I think it's actually they're doing something very, very nice. It's not dissimilar how you're paying, you know, people who, ha you know, some of your service people, even though they're not doing the work, just because you're saying thank you for the time. And I think like, again, who knows if they actually never watch the videos or I don't know. But yes, you know, for the daily blog, for whatever, I think it's very, very kind that they do that. Anyway, totally off track as always. Um, but I want to say you can find me at juliebalzer.com or on Instagram as Balzer Designs. And as you heard, mom and I love to hear from you. So please send us an email or leave a comment. And if you'd like to help the show, you can always leave a review on Apple Podcasts or mention us um, on your social media because that helps other people find the show. So thanks so much for listening and subscribing. We can't believe that we made it to 100 episodes. Uh, let, we'll see you for the next 100, I guess. <laughs> but at least we'll see you at number 101. And we'll, so we'll see you there on the next Adventures in Arting podcast. <laughs>